For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Great, thanks. And thanks for having me. And keep that passage open as we, as we look into it. And really the big thing that that passage is saying is this, it is share the gospel and your life with other people. Now that's the call that this passage is giving to Christians. Is that something that you do? Do you you share the gospel with other people? Do you talk about the good news of Christianity with your friends and your family and your course mates and your colleagues? And do you share your life with other people? Actually, if you looked around this room, are there people that you genuinely care for, that, that maybe if they knocked on your door in the middle of the night, you would open up and you would welcome them in? Or actually, do you keep that door shut? and you limit how much you interact with people. This passage and the whole of the Bible says that if we are Christians, we are to be sharing the gospel with others and our lives. Um, I heard recently about a, a megachurch pastor in the States who flew over to India in his private jet, preached to tens of thousands of, of, of desperately poor people, and then jumped back in his private jet and left. He he was in some ways preaching the gospel, but he would not share his life with these people. Apparently he had this huge entourage of big, beefy bouncers protecting him from from any of the plebs who might try and get close to him. 
That is not the Christian life. No, we are called to to share our lives with other people, to, to love people genuinely and deeply. Not just with our words, not just for a couple of hours on a Sunday, but with our whole lives. That's what we're getting modeled to us here in in this book, in this letter to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silas and Timothy love these guys. They only spend a couple of weeks with them, but they love them, don't they? And the Thessalonians, well, they're doing the same and they're being encouraged to all the more share the gospel with your lives and your lives with other people. But you know what? That is hard, isn't it? I've got a friend who who for years wanted to be a church minister. He loved standing at the front and preaching to people. But what he didn't like was difficult conversations with people, was awkward. What he he said to me once is, is what I really want is I want a study and a pulpit and a tunnel between the two. So I can do all of that study in God's word and so I can tell people how to respond to God, but I don't want to do all of that messy pastoring. That's not what Christians are called to do. Not not just church leaders, but all Christians. We are called to share our lives with others too. But actually sharing our lives can be messy and difficult and exhausting, can't it? Maybe you know if you talk about Jesus in your workplace or with your classmates, you'll be ridiculed. You might get passed over for promotions. At worst, maybe you're even labelled a bigot and backwards. So actually you think it's just easier to keep quiet. Or or maybe the the temptation after the service over teas and coffees is rather than talking deeply about how our lives as Christians are going, we'll just chat about the football and what we're watching on Netflix because actually those deeper conversations can be messy, can't they? I am quite an awkward person. And the number of times I have had people burst into tears on me often makes me think, I don't want to have those difficult conversations because I don't want that situation. And yet that is what Christians we are called to. We are called to share the gospel and our lives with others. That's what the passage is telling us. And in two particulars, there's so much we could dig into for this, but I haven't got time. But, but the two key areas of that that I want us to really focus on is, is one, that means that we keep going through any kinds of conflict and opposition And the key motivator for us in this is that we are living to please God and not people. I hope we'll see that as we dig a little bit more. And first, we're going to focus on the example that Paul, Silas, and Timothy give to the Thessalonians and to us. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we'd already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. They had had a rough time back in Philippi. Uh, maybe you know the story from Acts chapter 60. Paul had healed a demon-possessed girl. And you'd think that is brilliant. Everybody should be cheering that on, right? But, but actually, this demon-possessed girl was a slave who was used to make her owners rich. And so instead of being thrilled at this poor girl saved, actually, the owners stir up a rabble and attack Paul and Silas and Timothy. And, and they're beaten, their clothes are turned. In fact, even the local magistrates get involved, attacking them all, and they are thrown into prison. 
the next day. It's established they've not done anything wrong, but they're still forced to leave the city. They have had a rough time in Philippi, and you'd think, well, maybe they need a bit of a holiday. But no, they keep going, so they move on to the next place, and they come to Thessalonica. And they manage about three weeks in that, in that town, in that city, before again they are forced to escape. This time they manage to avoid the rabble that is trying to attack them, but because this rabble can't find Paul and Silas and Timothy, instead they, they trash the houses of the brand new Christians in the city. And Paul, Silas and Timothy have, be, have to be smuggled out of the area in the middle of the night. They were shamefully treated in, in Philippi. They have shared the gospel in Thessalonica in the midst of much, much conflict. But their time with the Thessalonians, it's hard to say that word, isn't it? The Thessalonians wasn't in vain. Why wasn't it in vain? Because loads of people became Christians. Well, actually, they did, but that is not the logic of the passage. Look again, you see, our time, our coming to you wasn't in vain because we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. Actually, that's why their coming wasn't in vain. We, we need to know, don't we, as Christians, and the Bible is very clear that we are called to share the good news of Christianity. God, by his Holy Spirit, is the one who calls people to respond to that. Uh, look ahead to verse 13 with me and we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as it what it really is the word of God which is at work in you believers see God is the one who brings people to faith in Jesus Christ Paul Silas and Timothy their ministry in Thessalonica wasn't in vain because they were faithful to share the gospel in the midst of conflict even if no one had become a Christian in that situation, it wouldn't have been in vain because they would have been being faithful. You see, if you're a Christian, we don't need to worry about results. We are called to faithfully share the gospel with other people, even in the backdrop of, of suffering and opposition. We, we pray that we won't get chased out of cities, but that is what we are called to do. We are called to be faithful in the midst of that. Share the gospel and our lives with others, even in the midst of opposition. Of course, what, what is this gospel that, that Paul and Silas and Timothy proclaim? Well, it is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ alone, isn't it? The Bible is clear that each and every one of us are made in God's image. We are gloriously, fearfully and wonderfully made, we're told. We have value and worth and dignity. You, the person sitting next to you, the, the, the bold patch that you can see just in front of you. We are fearfully and wonderfully, gloriously made in God's image. And yet we all know we're not perfect, don't we? The Bible says that from the first person each and up to each and every one of us, we are sinners. We have failed to live in God's world the way we're supposed to. We, we, we've gone our own way. We, maybe we try our hardest to be kind to our family, to work hard, hard but... But we all know, don't we, we're not perfect. Oh, I'm better than that person, though. Yeah, but God's standard isn't just better than that person. God's standard is perfection, and we fall short. We are vile, guilty sinners. That's what the Bible says. I'm including myself in that as well. Please don't get me wrong. You and me have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
but God doesn't give up on us. The reality is, is that once we have sinned once, we have failed that standard and there is nothing we can do about it. We can't save ourselves. I, I remember vividly a, a friend talking to me about taking uh, communion to, to a little old lady in his church. And he's sitting there trying to, sh- to share the bread and the wine and remind her, this is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ who died to save you from your sins. And this little old lady says, oh, how dare you? It's like, I'll pay for my own sins very much. I'm a good person. No, we cannot pay for our own sins. But God loves us so much that he doesn't give up on us. He doesn't look at us and say, good riddance. Maybe it'll tell you a bit about me. That's what I would do. Someone failed me too much, I'd say, well, stuff you and I'm going somewhere else. God doesn't do that. God loves us so much that Jesus Christ, God the Son, came into the world to save sinners like you and me. That's what the cross is, isn't it? It's God's love, God's rescue. When Jesus comes and says, I will pay the price for sin so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have peace with God. Isn't that the gospel that Paul and Silas and Timothy proclaimed? That is the gospel that we are to proclaim. That we are stuck and need rescuing, but Jesus has come to rescue. We need to choose for ourselves whether we will receive that rescue or not. But I want to be clear, that message is offensive. Have you realized that? Because that message says, you can't do it. But I don't know about you, I don't like to hear that. I like to think I can do it. All of us would rather think we can do it ourselves, but the gospel says no. You can't earn your way to God, whether it's through the rituals and sacrifice of Judaism or any other attempt you might have. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make yourself right with God. That is offensive to us. And so we will face all kinds of opposition in all kinds of different ways. Another friend of mine uh, was a vicar for years, uh, and he, he was the vicar in this beautiful, scenic village, the most idyllic place you could ever possibly imagine. And the first Sunday he was there, and he preached to, to this little church, this beautiful, picturesque little church. He was taken aside by some influential members of his PCC who said, we don't want any of that. We have seen off the people who came before you, We will still be here when you are gone. We are good people. We don't need any of this sin and salvation rubbish. You just help us all be nice, friendly people and keep in your own lane. He spent 10 years in that church desperately trying to share the gospel, share the good news of Christianity with people, and he was rejected and rejected and rejected, and eventually he was worn down, and him and his family left for their own health. But his labor wasn't in vain because he faithfully proclaimed the gospel despite opposition. Because actually what they were doing there was living to please God and not please people. Look look on with me a moment from verse 3. Well, that's chapter 3, verse 3. Sorry, getting lost there. There you go. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, 
God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Do you see, Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that we work to please God, not to please people, because if we're just trying to please people, then we'll, we'll avoid those difficult conversations. We won't tell people that they are sinners. But if we're living to please God, well, we need to tell people the bad news so that we will realize just how glorious the good news is. But I know, and I can guess for most of you, isn't there temptation to want to please people? Actually, when, when I'm chatting with the guys I play football with after we've played, and we're talking a little bit about what I believe as a Christian, my temptation is to basically say, oh, well, as long as you're a good person, you'll be okay. Because I'm frightened that they'll reject me if I say you are a sinner who needs a saviour. Beechwood is a small church. Uh, the quickest way for us to grow would, would basically be to say to everybody around us, oh, you're brilliant, come and join us and we can just have loads of fun together. Isn't the temptation for me as a, as a guest speaker here today to want to impress you? So maybe just tell some funny little stories and you'll all be like, oh, wasn't he lovely? But no, I need to please God, not people. Now, that doesn't mean that I need to upset you on purpose. Uh, I'll try to avoid doing that. But I need to be faithful to what God has said. And that God says, you all desperately on your own are stuck, are sinful, cannot save yourselves. You are dead and only Jesus can make you alive. That's what we all need to hear. That's what we all need to be reminded of. And so we need to, to remember that we want to please God and not people. And you know what, actually, what, what we realize is when we're living to please God and not people, we are actually able to love those people better than if we're just trying to please them. Uh, probably any of us who are parents, we realize that if you're just living to please your kids, that's not going to be very good for them because they will probably get fat with the amount of sweets that they eat. They will probably have square eyes from just being on screens all of the time because actually if we just want to please them and give them what they want, that's not good for them. And the same is true with Christianity. Actually, the best way to love someone is not to always say, yeah, that's great, you're wonderful. It's to call people to trust in Jesus and depend on him. We need to please God and not please people, even if sometimes that is the very thing that causes the difficulties and the trials and the conflicts that we face. But Paul and Silas and Timothy, well, they have modeled that wonderfully. Two to three weeks they spent in this town, but look at how much they loved them. Listen to the care in that. We were gentle among you, verse 7 says, like, like a, a nursing mother taking care of her own children, being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. You, you remember, brothers, our, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you 
into his own kingdom and glory. We don't have time to go through every single nuance of that. Take time this afternoon maybe to to read through and and reflect on that. But the, the big heart of these verses are real, genuine love that shows itself not just through kind of nice platitudes, but by through actions of care and love. We've probably all got different experiences of parents. If you have had bad experience of parents, of mothers or fathers or both, don't, don't let that take you from the goodness of what this picture is meant to be. A nursing mother who does everything to make sure that their child is kept and loved and sustained and fed. A caring father who, who wants the best for their child, who teaches them how to live well in this world. That's what Paul and Silas and Timothy have been like to the Thessalonians. They've done everything they can not to be a burden, not, not to make demands, although they could have done as, as an apostle, could have said, look, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, so you need to do what I say. No, no, they've come in humbleness and love and gentleness. And isn't that the character that Jesus Christ gives came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many isn't that the pattern of the christian service of others genuine active practical love that's what love does more than just says the right thing love is shown through our actions isn't it Uh, you see jen can tell me every day that she loves me but if every day she she says john i love you I'll see you tomorrow, and just goes, and never spends any time with me. I, I might begin to question whether she genuinely loved me, mightn't I? No, love spends time. Lo- love looks out for and looks after others. If I say that I love my church family, I, I realise I'm not with my church family this week, so maybe it's not the point. But if, if I say I love my church family, but I avoid them all of the time, do I really love them? We are called, if we are Christians, to share the gospel and our lives with others. Uh, Of course, if we are English, that can be hard, can't it? An Englishman's house is his castle, isn't it? So that means we can drop the portcullis and we can raise up the drawbridge and we can keep everybody else at a distance. But that is not what a Christian does, is it? Uh, just this week at Beechwoods, and we're not a perfect church, we're, we're close to it, but not quite there. But, but because I know them best, I, I can talk about the situation we see. But so just this week, we had one church member who was struggling, has spent a few days staying with some other church members. Isn't that sharing the gospel and our lives? We've got an, an older lady in the church who every week does all of the washing for another family, who, for otherwise it would be overwhelming. We've got people with mental health needs who who frequently are sitting down with with small numbers of other people in the church, sharing their struggles and their hurt and praying for one another and looking for that kind of care and support and being given it. Um, On Easter Sunday, uh, one family in the church said, oh, if anybody's going to be on their own, uh, you can come and you can have Easter Sunday lunch with us. Uh, And and that spiralled so that I think there was 38 people all having lunch together on Easter Sunday. Because actually, even the people that weren't going to be on their own decided, oh, I want to be with my church family for lunch. Aren't they small glimpses of not just sharing the gospel, but our lives? I am sure that there are countless examples here at Egbeth as well. Take time to, to think about how are we showing that to one another. 
and celebrate that. But, but like the Thessalonians are being called to, we can do that more and more and more. Imagine if each and every one of us here in this room just thought, in this next week, what's one practical way I can share the gospel and my life with other people? And we all acted on that. Wouldn't that be uh, kind of almost a huge cascade of gospel-shaped love? We are to share the gospel and our lives, uh, even when things are difficult, because we are seeking to please God and not people. Uh, the Thessalonians have already been doing that, but they're being called to do that all the more. I will just read these last few sentences, but there's not time to, to dig in too much. So verse 13, we thank God constantly for this. Uh, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. See, the Thessalonians have received this gospel. And it's being shown as they share that with others. In fact, chapter 1's already said that, the, that their, their faithfulness has rung out all over the region. But also, do you see that, that the sign that they've received this as the word of God, not just as word of men? Well, it's that they're being just like the Jewish churches around. What are the Jewish churches around doing? Well, they're being faithful in the midst of opposition. Actually, the fact that we keep going that we keep sharing the gospel, that we keep sharing our lives, even when we face opposition, is a sign that we have truly accepted the gospel. Do you realize that? Now we can pray that we won't face the same kind of opposition as the Thessalonian churches. But there are plenty of places around the world today where Christians do face this kind of opposition, aren't there? Imprisonment, even death. We need to pray for God's strength that even in the midst of that opposition, we will be remaining faithful to the gospel that says there is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. That we will be genuinely loving the other Christians around us, sharing this good news with them, caring with our lives, our actions, as well as our words. We are being called to keep going. The Thessalonians, this, this whole letter is one of encouragement, isn't it? They are doing brilliantly. Keep going all the more. Keep on sharing the gospel. Keep on sharing your life. Even when there's opposition. Because we want to please God and not people. Let me pray and finish. Verse 8 says again, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. Father God, help us to be people who, who put that into practice. Who love people so much that we want to share the gospel with them because the gospel is the only way to life forever with you. And that we would also, because we love them, share our lives. That our actions would show the truth of our words. And so that whatever we might be facing day by day by day, 
we would be strengthened to do that because we want to please you. We want to be obedient to you rather than that we would care too much what other people might say or think. Amen.